Welcome to the official podcast of Vertical Life Church. We are a non-denominational church located in Clio, Michigan. We exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. We hope you are drawn into a deeper relationship with God through this podcast and pray that through the sermons you listen to here, your faith would grow. We are always excited to hear from those who are impacted by this ministry. And we encourage you to email us at contact at vlchurch.tv to share how God is using this ministry in your life. If you would like to support this ministry, you can do so online at www.vlchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you for listening. Welcome. I'm Pastor Joey, for those of you that are new, and I'm so glad you are here to experience Advent, and it's a time that we're taking to set aside to pray together as a church through uh, the promises of God over the course of the 40 days leading up to Christmas. So we're, we're looking at promises in the scripture God has given us, and that is our focus for prayer as a church. And we're praying through these 40 days as a transi- transitional period between what was to what is to come. To, to put past uh, in the past what was this last year and to look forward to the blessings of God this next year. And we're praying through these promises that God has given us. We're praying through his promise to build this church, to strengthen our church, to supply the needs for our church, to guard our unity by keeping us in his perfect peace, to rescue us in times of trouble, to confirm his vision and grant us wisdom as we step out in faith to follow what God has for us to do this next year. And so as we've done so in just a moment, we are going to set aside some time uh, to pray together as a church, uh, some time of prayer where we pray over and with one another as this body as a whole to be used of God and to be a blessing in this community. Now, a few years ago, uh, we're, we're getting ready to come upon our fourth birthday as a church, which is an amazing thing. Uh, four years ago, as we were just getting started, I was asked to speak at a pastor's meeting. And many of you know uh, my story, my background, and this was kind of a really frightening thing for me. Uh, we had just come from uh, our previous work, a previous ministry where I was, uh, you know, employed full-time and I no longer had that job and I was working trying to make a full-time job out of really a part-time job and and so we were in need for some additional finances as we were getting the ministry off the ground and and God led me to be connected with a local pastors network and they began to support my wife and I as as local missionaries so to speak for a month to month and after they approved us to get this uh this support, they asked me to come speak to their, the men in the, in the network. So all these other area pastors and leaders. And, and my story is this. I didn't choose from a, you know early age to go into the ministry. I actually kind of was running from the ministry for a long time. You know, I wanted to serve God and honor God, but I didn't really see that happening within a church context. And when God finally was sending me on this path, 
I had only preached two times in my entire life. I hadn't gone to college to get a, a, a degree in, in pastoral ministry. I had very little pastoral experience. But here I am, my wife and I just setting out to start this church, the, this group of pastors that are seemingly have been in the ministry longer than I've been alive have now asked me to come teach or preach to them what God has laid on my heart. And I'm thinking, why am I being asked to speak? I should be hearing from them. I should be learning from them. What do I have to say that's of any value to these group, uh, this group of men? And, and what could I offer them at all that would be of value when, when they have much more wisdom and experience than I? And uh, so I began to ask and pray to the Lord, God, what would you have me to say? Here we have all these pastors from different parts of the state. What would you have me to say to these leaders? And God brought to my attention a passage of Scripture, and actually in Revelation chapter 2. And as I began to read this passage of Scripture, the, the message began to come alive for me. And, and I knew exactly why He had given it, but it was also a message that brought some kind of concern and, and some pause in my own spiritual life as I looked at the ministry that, that God was leading uh, my family to engage in and our team to engage in. Beginning in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, this is what the word of the Lord records. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they're liars. And you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the first works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. Anytime Jesus says, those who have ears to hear must listen to understand what is being said. This is something of significance. This is something he's trying to really get your attention. He's saying, wake up to this reality. And, and as I was meditating on this passage of scripture, it hit me and scared me at the same time But what the Spirit of God was revealing. Here in the church of Ephesus, we have one of Paul the Apostle's mega churches. One of the largest, most vibrant churches. They were a healthy church. They were flourishing. Matter of fact, the book of Ephesians was written to this church. And we get a wealth of, of knowledge and doctrine and, and understanding of who God is and how grace and faith and salvation works for the believer. Paul had instructed them on spiritual warfare. And, and these believers were up to the task. They, they were a vibrant, healthy body of devoted, sold-out believers of Jesus Christ. But what struck me here was by this point in history, as Jesus is writing to them in the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing this church a letter. He compliments them on a couple of things. Number one is that they did not tolerate evil. 
They didn't tolerate it. It wasn't something that they just overlooked or swept under the rug. They didn't tolerate evil. They didn't tolerate false teachers. And they were even publicly standing against this oppressive group called the Nicolaitans. And they willingly, number two, they willingly endured suffering for the sake of Christ. So on the onset, as we look at what Jesus is complimenting them, complimenting about them, we would say they were doing everything right. They were holding fast for truth. They were standing against evil. They were willingly suffering for the name of Christ. They stood against sin and deceivers, and they took up their own crosses to follow Jesus, to suffer in his name. And even those things, even though they're good things, and the, these are descriptions that every church ought to have. Look at what the Lord's rebuke was in verse number four. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. So what does this tell you about this vibrant mega church that seems to have everything on the outside perfectly in place. It tells you that God knew them more for what they were against than what they were for. They were known, their reputation was more for what they were against and what they were for. And they were too busy condemning one another for not being perfect than they were devoted to helping bear each other's burdens. They were more focused on looking spiritual and being self-righteous than actually being spiritual or being righteous. This is a state of mind that can affect us all, especially the longer that we walk with the Lord. Satan, our enemy, is always looking for ways to lead our hearts away from the Lord and getting us to focus on what is wrong. It's one of his greatest weapons he has in his arsenal. The more negative outlook that we have, the less positivity we see, the more discouraged we become, and slowly and surely our hearts begin to slip away from where they once were. And even though this is a common thing, the scary part is is what Jesus said would be the consequence if they didn't go back to the way things were. Look at verse number five. Jesus says to Ephesus, he says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. John, in chapter one, as he's having this vision, God has taken him up to heaven to reveal this apocalyptic vision of how the end is about to transpire. He sees seven golden lampstands, and the scripture reveals that these represent the seven churches that were about to receive a letter from the Lord. And Jesus here, speaking to Ephesus, if he says, if you don't repent and go back to the first works, if you don't go back to loving me above everything else with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you don't let that love for me spill out in how you love one another, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I will remove your light. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says this about the church. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. As the big C church is concerned, it's what we, we call 
all Christians everywhere from, from coast to coast, sea to shining sea. We call that the Big Sea Church. Everyone who professes Christ is in the church of Jesus Christ. As the church, no matter where you live, no matter where you are, your job is to shine his light for all to see. To be a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. To be a beacon of hope for the world. And Vertical Life Church, we are a local expression of the Big C Church, a local expression of the Church of Jesus Christ. And we too, like Ephesus, have been given a light to shine. And that light that Jesus reveals in Revelation chapter 2, a light that can be taken away. The light that you've been given can be taken away. That is what is scary to me. God just kind of laid this on my heart. This is a quote that just rocked me, that, that he laid on me, that what is scary is that we could exist in the world but have no light for the world. Does that scare you? That we could come here week after week, we could read, we could pray, we could study. We could have all the intentions in the world to share the gospel with the people we know, but we could be in this world, but yet have no light for the world. Not only would we have no light, but we have to understand where that light comes from. You see, the lamp that brings the light is the vessel. Scripture says that these lampstands represent the churches. So the lamp stand represents the vessel, but the fuel that lights the lamp is the oil. The fuel that lights the lamp is the oil. And all through Scripture, Old and into the New Testament, we can see that there is a correlation or a representation that oil represents the Holy Spirit of God. So to be anointed with oil represents that you have now been anointed with a Holy Spirit anointing. As Samuel anointed David to be the new king, it was recognized that David now had God's anointing on his life, that the Holy Spirit was upon him to perform his ministry, to live out his legacy. We see Jesus at the baptism that the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove and anointed him with the power of God to anoint him with his power for ministry. Throughout Scripture, we see a correlation between oil and and the Holy Spirit. And the fuel for the church's light, the fuel for our light is the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus is saying here to Ephesus, he says, I will remove your light, which means I will remove the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you if you don't repent. And I don't believe he's saying he's going to take away everyone's salvation. I don't believe that's the case. But I do believe that when this occurs, there will be something missing from the church. Let me ask you this question. How many churches have you attended? Or do you know that exist that seem to have no Holy Spirit anointing? Is there abundant joy there? Is there the bond of peace that is unshakable in its unity? Is there a sense of the presence of God when you just walk into the premises of that gathering place? Is there a manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Can you observe people becoming more and more like Christ or are they becoming more and more religious? Is there a sense that everyone matters to God and are loved just as they are where they are or do you have to become something before you're able to fit in? David in Psalm 51 verses 10 and 11 
one of my favorite passages of scripture. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take away your anointing. Don't take away this anointing you've placed on my life. This idea, church, haunts me to death. It haunts me. The idea of losing the anointing of the Holy Spirit because I never want to lose my light. I never want Vertical Life Church to lose its light. Rather, I want the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall and burn so hot and so bright in this community that people can't help but take notice. I want people to be so drawn to the presence of God in this place, it's going to be like bugs to a zapper. Here's a bug. Oh, what's that light? Smack! Right? But instead of being zapped to death, they're zapped to everlasting life. Can I get an amen in this place? This is what I want. I want there to be so much Holy Spirit, so much light, that people look from afar and say, God is in that place. God is among those people. If we were in a place like that, if we were in a place like that, we're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus tells the Ephesians that what they have to do to maintain this light, to keep this light from being removed, is they have to go back to loving God and pursuing God above everything else, loving one another and truly loving one another. You see, the thing about the lampstand is that it's just the vessel. But you and I, we make up the vessel. We make up the church. We make up the vessel. And what we need to shine the light is we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And not just for salvation. But we need the flaming tongue of the Holy Spirit to burn so deep within us that that heat of passion for God and the love that we have for one another will start bursting out. We need the gifts of the Spirit to be in full effect so we can be, just as Paul says to the Corinthians, we can be fully furnished in every way, built up and strengthened to be healthy and strong. We need prophets to be prophesying, healers to be healing, teachers to be teaching, servants to be serving, wise advisors to be counseling, encouragers to be encouraging, tongue speakers to be praying, interpreters to be interpreting the glorious wonders and works of God. Those with faith need to be built us up and leading us forward. Those with mercy work at restoring. Those that are generous be giving generously. And we need each other not just to be using our gifts, but as Paul told Timothy, we need to fan those gifts into flame. They need to grow bigger and brighter and more vibrant for everyone to see. If we were a part of a church like this, there would be more joy to go around than we would know what to do with. And we would not only have joy, and we would not only sense, but we would see and experience the power and presence of God in our lives. We would be so kind to one another because our focus would be on Him and what He is doing and not on ourselves. Does anyone want to follow me in pursuit of that today? Does anyone want to be a part of a church like that? That is my dream. If we look biblically, there's some key markers of a spirit-filled church. I want to give these to you quickly. Number one is that you see people 
are bold evangelists. Bold evangelists. Let's read this verse together. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The Word of God says this. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they preached the Word of God with boldness, they were filled with the Spirit, and then they preached the Word of God with boldness. You see, the fear of what others thought of them did not define them. They preached with abandon the word and gospel of God. Being a bold evangelist is a marker, a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you a bold evangelist? Or does the fear of what others think keep you from speaking the words and gospel of our God? Number two is joy. Acts 13, 51 through 52. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, wherever the presence of God is, there will be great joy. Are you filled with his joy? Or has life circumstances just sucked the joy right out of you? Number three, to be peace and encouragement. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. When the Spirit is upon us, peace will be increased as faith and the reverence for the Lord will dominate us as believers. They were filled with encouragement. And the more they were filled with the Spirit, the more the church grew. Because I believe people saw what was going on and wanted to be a part of what God was doing. Is your faith growing? Are you immersed in His peace? Are you encouraged more than discouraged? And number four is power. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, when the Holy Spirit comes upon his church, when he comes upon you, you will be filled with the power of God. Have you been filled with the power of God? Have you experienced his power in your life, the gifts of the Spirit in your life? Question, do you even want that in your life? We just went through a teaching series talking about going from milk to meat, about going deeper in your relationship with God. Today, as you stand here before the Lord and before his Holy Spirit, do you want more of God in your life? Do you want more of him today than you had yesterday? For our lamp to burn, for our vessel to shine bright in this community, we need it to be filled with oil, which means as more of us are filled with the Spirit, the longer, the greater, and the brighter we can burn as a church together. The more encouraged we will be, the more joyous we will be, the more peaceful we will be, the more bold we will be, the more united, more loving, and faithful, and generous, etc., etc., etc. The Spirit of God produces these kinds of fruit in the lives of the believer. 
see, the more spirit of God we have, the more of God will be on display among us and in our lives. And once the spirit comes, I believe the message to this church that Jesus is giving to Ephesus is that we need to sustain his presence by loving God more and pursuing God more and loving each other more each and every day. Being known for what we are for, not what we are against. And here at Vertical Life Church, we are for one another. We're for each other. Maybe you're here today and you don't know whether or not you've received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some churches and backgrounds call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You believe in Jesus, but you couldn't say yes or no whether or not you've really experienced the presence of God in your life. You don't really look at your life and see any of these markers of a Spirit-filled life, and that's okay because you're in good company. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. The apostle Philip went to Samaria to, to start spreading the gospel, and there was a great revival. He began baptizing and doing many signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Many came to faith, but none of them had received the anointing of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Spirit. So when Peter and John came to the area, the first thing they did was they laid hands on the believers and prayed for them to receive this baptism of the Spirit. And when they did, the people were anointed and filled with the power and presence of God. Maybe you're here today. And you've placed your faith in Jesus. He is your Lord. You've been baptized by water, but you've never been filled with the holy anointing of the Holy Spirit from the Lord. Maybe it's because you've not been pursuing God. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to repent of and get it out of the way so you can come to God with a clear conscience and holy hands. Maybe it's simply just being afraid of the unknown and because you don't know what's going to happen or what that might mean, you've withdrawn and you've not really pursued God in that way. Today when we pray, you can begin repentance by confessing and turning to the Lord. And you can come forward and the elders will be down here in front and we will pray for you that you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you've received the Holy Spirit. But it's been a while since you've experienced the presence of God in your life. You're just going through a dry season where it feels like God is a million miles away. You've kind of drifted away from the Lord through different life circumstances. Your light that you had has dimmed. The excitement and passion that you once had to pursue God and follow God's call on your life and not only serve in the church, but be raised up into leadership in the church has all but faded away. Paul told Timothy that we are to fan into flame the gift that we received. If we don't keep fanning it, it will slowly fizzle out. And when the fire dies down, to get it to burn again, we have to start stoking the flame again, stoking the fire. And Jesus said, if you repent and go back to what you did when you started, if you start loving me above all and pursuing me through how you love people, not only will your light remain, but it will burn bright for all to see. The more we pursue, the brighter it's going to burn. We need to pursue it. We need to receive it. 
We need to use it and we need to keep it. And so the promise of God we're going to focus on today comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And this is what I want us to begin praying together as a church and to pray this week and to continue to pray until we see the fulfillment of this promise in our midst. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen, he said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is not something that God withholds for only the elite and the best. God withholds it for those who ask Him. As we pray today, God has promised to give us the Holy Spirit. You can receive Him if you ask. And I ask you to ask the Lord as a church that when we pray, we pray together to ask the Lord to let there be such an outpour of His Holy Spirit on this place that the Holy Spirit's anointing would fall on us as a church, that our light would begin to burn bright and that it would fall also on you. Let's bow together for prayer as we go into a time of prayer together as a church. And I'm going to ask the elders to go ahead and come forward now. If you have never received the Holy Spirit, or if it's been a while since you've experienced God in your life, or maybe there are things that are going on in your life where it's caused the distance between you and the Lord, now's the time to lay that down at His feet and ask God to come into your life, to fill you and empower you and draw you close. Now's the time, church, for us to pray His outpouring to be upon us. Father, I just pray for our church now as we go into this time of prayer where we kneel down and we pray. God, we focus on this promise you said in your word that you will give the Spirit to those who ask. I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, come. Withhold yourself no longer. Anoint us with the power of God, with the joy, the unity, with love. Anoint us now and for all who ask in Jesus' name. So go into a time of prayer. You come on down. Don't hesitate. We'll be here to pray with you. If you'd like to come down and pray at the front to pray for our church or any other needs in your life, go ahead and do so at this time.
church. So um, I just feel uh, really impressed that the Lord wanted me to share something with you all today. And um, so I'm just feeling in my spirit that there are many of you here today struggling with condemnation, guilt, and shame. Even understanding um, the salvation and the work of the cross, that there's still a misunderstanding of the actual work of the cross. Uh, So as some of you know, that some of the most um, oppressed people in America, the very one sitting next to you in a pew, as we are focusing on those that are in the streets and the strip clubs, there's people here and everywhere just as oppressed that know Jesus. And um, so he shared with me a couple scriptures. So as far as condemnation, we know Genesis 127 says that, um, that God made us both man and woman in his image. So we're image bearers of God, number one. Number two, we know that there was an old covenant in the Old Testament that put us under the law, where basically if you didn't obey, you didn't do such and this thing and this thing and that thing and the other, God would just outright destroy people, nations, the flood, everything, right? And then there was the work of the cross by his son Jesus, which brought along the new covenant. And if we know that Jesus is life, then he cancels out death. And if we know that Jesus died on the cross for us and shed his blood, we know that that in that, if everything that is death is everything that is not of God, that includes sickness, that includes disease, that includes condemnation, that includes shame, that includes guilt, that includes that you no longer have to do anything to be in his image, to be sought as holy in his eyes, and there's nothing else that you can do on your own to love him with all of your heart, mind, and soul, on your own with your own flesh. And he knew that. So that was the point of the cross. (laughs) And so in um, Colossians 2, and I'm going to just share the message version just because it breaks it down in a really nice uh, format here. And I I won't keep you long here. It says... um, right here and this is Paul speaking and it says entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve it's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws no you're already in insiders not through some secret of initiation right but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you destroying the power of sin if it's an initiation ritual you're after you're already been through it by submitting to baptism going under the water was a burial of your old life coming up out of it was a resurrection God raised you from the dead as he did Christ when you were stuck in your old sin dead life you were incapable of responding to God God brought you alive right along with Christ think of it all sins forgiven the slate wiped clean that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the Christ cross he stripped all spiritual tyrants of the universe their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets so that's number one and we know that in Ephesians 2 9 actually says that salvation is not by works right you can't earn it by works So all of us, um, not all of us, many of us, though, are always trying to perform, to think that we're going to get somewhere and to be deserving of what he gave us. But we know through Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's this last scripture here in Galatians 2.17. 
says, have some of you noticed that we are not perfect? No great surprise, right? Are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I'd be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work, so I quit being a lawman so that I could be a God-man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been made um, crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that uh, I appear righteous before you or have your own your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived for the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. It is not clear to you. Is it not clear to you that um, to to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate um, God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So that means... If we've accepted the sacrifice and we continue to have faith and just attempt to be obedient the best that we can, that's it. We're already made righteous. We're already made pure. We're already holy in his eyes. And there's nothing else more that you can do to be closer to Jesus as far as like when some people ask, I hear people ask, could you pray for this? It seems like you're a little bit closer to God than I am. Who says that if you're a child of God? You don't have to say that. You're a child of God. You're just as equipped as anybody else here. And he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And so he's already canceled out all of those things for us. Sickness is not our portion. Sin is not our portion. So basically, if Jesus canceled out, paid off your credit card debt, wouldn't it be really silly for you to go to the credit card company and demand that you pay a debt that's not even there? They'd be like, I'm sorry, um, your account is closed. It's already been paid off. But I just had a balance of $2,000. Well, Jesus paid it off for you. The account's been closed. You've become a new creature in Christ. And if we understand that, that really is the good news of the gospel. So I just feel like those are things that we just really need to focus on and let all that guilt and shame just fall away from us. Father, 
we heed the words of your letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And today we seek your face. We covenant together to love you more than anything else. To love one another. Truly love one another. To take an interest in the lives of one another. To bear each other's burdens. To be for one another and not against each other. To encourage each other. To minister to each other. God, we want our flame to burn brightly in this community. We glorify the name of Jesus. We want people to be drawn to him. For it's in him we have everlasting life and hope and peace. God, send the Holy Spirit. Anoint us with a heavenly anointing. Let the flame burn brighter and brighter and brighter. Let us be engulfed in your presence every time we gather. Let us feel your presence, God. Hear your voice. Let us see your hand move. Get our eyes off our distractions and our frustrations and our tensions and our stresses. And get our eyes on you, Jesus. Drop the scales from our eyes that we could see your work. God, bring us to our knees in repentance of sin and bring us to our feet in praise and glory to the Lord so that we will forever remain filled up with your Holy Spirit. That our light continues to shine for all to see that we're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden until you come back and make all things new. Lord, as we look at your vision and your will for us this next year. God, we know we can't do anything apart from Jesus. We can't do anything without the power of your Holy Spirit. If we try to do it in our own strength, it's going to fail. If we try to manufacture an experience just to say we had a good time, God, it's going to be empty and profit everyone nothing. We need you. We're calling on you, God, to fulfill your promise that you gave us through your son, Jesus, that you would send the Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us, that you'd anoint us with power, you'd fill us with encouragement, you'd fill us with joy, you'd fill us with boldness. God, we'd no longer be afraid to speak and to share our faith with people that we come in contact with, God. We want to be a people that are known to being people of God by the way we live and by what we speak and how we love. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for everyone that you've called to be a part and for those that haven't come yet that are going to join in what you're doing. We thank you for those that are away. God, we ask that your blessings would be upon them as they travel. For those that are sick, God, we ask that your healing power from heaven would anoint and touch their bodies now in the name of Jesus, claiming your promise that by your stripes we are healed. We praise you, God, for the work that you're doing in our hearts even now. Draw us into your presence, God. Don't take your spirit from us, but restore the joy of our salvation, our closeness, our love, our passion, our devotion, our drive. Unity and peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Church agrees, we say.